the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friday, let's get it underway. Uh, right now, it's a pretty interesting day thus far. There's a lot of questions going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, about the uh, vote that's supposed to be coming up to finalize this uh, relief package. But uh, Massey, uh, Congressman Massey of Kentucky, is saying that he's not going to uh, vote yay on a, vo- a voice vote. Uh, and uh, if he says no, then no voice vote can be taken because that's got to be unanimous before just a voice vote can be uh, be done. Now, what happens in a voice vote? Everybody who's there, uh, they'll ask for the yays, and everybody who's going to vote yay goes yay. And then they say all those uh, nays, and then they go nay. And this whoever is overseeing uh, the House, which in this case would be Nancy Pelosi, will say which side uh, has prevailed. Now, later on, they will go back and give everybody an opportunity to say how they voted. But it's a way of doing it quickly. Well, Massey doesn't want to do it quickly. He wants the House to come back into session, uh, everybody, bring everybody in, fly in from wherever you're at and be in your seats and put your little card in uh, the gizmo that cast your vote and cast your vote that way. And uh, he's going to have a chance to get his way today uh, specifically uh, about that. And I got to tell you, lawmakers are really furious about this. I sent a a message out to uh, Congressman Hill's office late last night. I haven't heard back yet. May hear back sometime this hour. Uh, I don't know if Congressman Hill is here in Little Rock or in Conway or he's uh, up in uh, D.C. Anyway, this uh, Republican House member, they're saying he could go rogue. And he would scuttle a vote on the $2 trillion coronavirus uh, recovery relief package, uh, potentially endanger other House members in the process, according to uh, Fox News. Because if he does it, then a lot of people would look at it as a Republican thing and maybe not vote for a Republican come, um, you know, November. But if that's the case, if they really think that's the case, 
evidently uh, what Nancy Pelosi has done over the last week would mean she'd never get reelected for for dog catcher because she's held up everything uh, until the middle of the week in the Senate. Because she went back to San Francisco last week, and then when she arrived back on Monday, she had a whole 1,100-page Nancy Pelosi uh, Coronas relief bill of her own that had all kinds of stuff in it that was just incredible. So anyway, uh, Thomas Massey is the uh, Republican who uh, is saying... um, you know, he may not uh, allow this to happen on voice vote, which makes you wonder why is he doing it? Uh, sounds a whole lot like a publicity stunt, you know, a kind of a look at me kind of thing. I mean, over in the Senate, this passed 96 to 0. Uh, and to be honest, in the House, it should pass 100 to 0. But we'll have to see if uh, 100, not 100, 400 in odd votes to zero. Uh, Sources saying that Massey actively has called members and told them to get on planes in the morning to come back to Washington so that there will be a quorum of 216 members if Massey or another member were to demand one. The source explained that Massey got a very forceful call from a close confidant and member of the House Freedom Caucus urging him to allow the voice vote, but Massey wouldn't budge. Quote, we have been writing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi for stalling things, and now this, the source uh, lamented. Asked whether the House leadership was concerned about others beside Massey, another source replied, quote, there are others who are egging him on. Interesting. He'd better not do that, screamed one livid senior House Democratic aide into the phone when asked about such a scenario. What's he want to do, make everyone in the building get coronavirus? A senior administration source declined to comment when asked if the Trump administration made efforts to curb any potential uh, parliamentary mischief by Massey. Quote, a lot of members are uh, pissed off, one source said. If we don't have a quorum on, uh, tomorrow, we'll definitely have one by Saturday. The 880-page coronavirus stimulus package or recovery package or relief package, however you want to term it, would amount to the largest economic relief bill in the history of the U.S. for individuals, large corporations, and small businesses. And its unanimous passage in the Senate came despite grave concerns on both sides about whether it involved too much spending or not enough. So uh, that's uh, that's where we're sitting uh, right now. So we're just going to have to kind of keep an eye on this and see where it uh, all rolls out to and where it stays at. Uh, kind of interesting what's going on right now. A lot of grandstanding kind of. Kind of sad, if you ask me. 13 minutes after 6 here on a uh, Friday morning. Uh, as we move into the final weekend of March, doesn't seem possible. But uh, when we uh, get to the weekend, uh, we'll be moving into a, a, a new month uh, next week, early. 
And at that point, we have we will have already go gone through three months, the first quarter of 2020. Uh, weather for today, periods of sun, very warm. Look for a high of 83, kind of a repeat of yesterday. Very nice day yesterday. Uh, unofficially, by my thermometer at the Ellswick Homestead, it got up to 86 yesterday. Uh, over the weekend, your Saturday, you're going to have a possibility of a severe afternoon thunderstorm, high of 74. Sunday, partly sunny, and the temperature is going to be very comfortable, high of 74. Again, Monday, as you get back to your social distancing and your job, as you do your work from home, uh, we're looking at showers, possible thunderstorms, in a high of 66 degrees. Currently, we've got uh, 71 degrees in Little Rock. It's the hot spot here in the area. Conway's at 69 Cabot at 69, Hot Springs is also at 69, and Pine Bluff is at 70. Let's get in your first uh, traffic and weather. We could do that right now. The Dave Ellswick Show coming up at the bottom of the hour. Mark Lauder, the uh, Director of uh, Strategic Communications for the Trump campaign, will join us for about 20, 25 minutes, and uh, we'll talk to him about, uh, you know, how the American public is reacting to uh, the coronavirus, how that is, uh, you know, affecting the Trump campaign, and a lot of other questions as far as Pelosi, Massey, and a lot of other things that are going on in Washington, D.C. Later on, we'll talk about Roman Reigns. For all of you that are into the WWE, of course, the the the, uh, WrestleMania is coming up. Uh, in April, uh, 4th and 5th, that's next weekend. They're doing it in the studios of the WWE with no crowd. And there's been a change to the card. So we'll talk about that. And uh, the Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball Players Association have struck a deal. We'll talk about that as well because we're supposed to be getting into the first uh, weekend of the, of the baseball season. And uh, I had dusted it off, but I won't play it until we do have the first day of baseball, and that's Abbott and Costello and who's on first. So we'll be playing that later in the year. Hopefully, maybe in June we'll get a, we could get a, almost a full season and get about 110 games in if necessary and uh, move forward with Major League uh, Baseball. But we'll talk about it more as we continue. Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM. The answer. All right, we're back with you here uh, at my studio in the in my uh, dining room. My studio in the dining room is uh, looking into the kitchen and uh, sitting at my dining room table, uh, doing uh, my deal here, uh, trying to keep you informed of the latest news about COVID uh, nineteen and uh, what's happening in news. Uh, and we'll get to, with a special guest coming up at 635 with Mark Lauder, the director of uh, strategic communications for uh, President Trump joins us uh, during that uh, that half hour at 635. So he'll be with us. Robert Steinbach at 7 o'clock until 9, 835 uh, to join the conversation. It's going to be Matt Smith. He's the owner of all the VIP cinemas. 
uh, in Little Rock, Hot Springs, Cabot, Searcy, and then, of course, uh, the theater in uh, Batesville. Uh, he has kept his theaters open, but uh, his theaters will close tomorrow. Will close tomorrow. He uh, has held out for as long as he possibly can. So uh, we'll talk to him about what this means, not only for his theater, but what does it mean for, uh, you know, movie dumb uh, in general. There's a lot of movies that have been canceled that were kind of, you know, uh, small movies that you like to be able to show at theaters, but you do that during down kind of down times from the big tentpole movies that come out starting in in the late April into May, and uh, a lot of the big tentpole movies they've moved their time back into this year, deep into the fall, and because they're doing that, there's no place for these other movies to go to. So uh, we may see more of this streaming that happened uh, last weekend with The Invisible Man and uh, uh, what was the other one? Hunter uh, that uh, was shown. Uh, You may have to watch them by paying and streaming them on your home TV. Uh, That's a big deal. Uh, Of course, theater owners have fought that from happening. Uh, So have movie studios. But if uh, it starts happening during this coronavirus, so some money does come into the studios, uh, once you open that door, uh, that can make it tough at that time uh, for people to, um, you know, not to, not to get used to it. Once they get used to it, uh, very difficult uh, to pull them away. So it would be uh, it'd be a uh, you know, tough for them to uh, not want that streaming. That uh, will be interesting. 623, let's take a look at uh, some of the other stories that are big, not necessarily political stories. And uh, it's good to talk about things that aren't political all the time. I mean, uh, I, I, of course, uh, do politics more than a lot of people. But um, because it affects you so much. Uh, So let me bring up this story with the Players Association and MLB. Let's get the deal up here. I'm having the uh, MLBPA, that's the Major League Baseball Players Association, will divvy up the lump sum among four classes of players with the majority of it going uh, to those with guaranteed Major League contracts. If games are played, the advance will count against final salaries, which will be prorated. Cost-cutting measures are included in the agreement between the league and uh, the union. So, uh, you know, with this stoppage that's going on right now, uh, it makes it very difficult uh, on the whole thing uh, for Major League Baseball. Because with the coronavirus... Um, at least delaying the Major League Baseball season, which was supposed to happen uh, this weekend, and of course is not. Uh, MLB and the MLBPA reached an agreement on several other key issues. Uh, ESPN uh, reporting service time, player salaries, roster moves, the draft, and the upcoming uh, international signing period 
are all addressed in the deal. Uh, the owners will vote on it today, but uh, from uh, talking to the owners, it looks like it's going to get ratified. If it's ratified, a roster freeze will go into effect for an undetermined period of time. A typical season would have featured 186 days overall, giving players up to 172 days uh, of service time. We don't know how many there will be this season, though, and that would have had lasting effects on players and teams uh, had the two sides not hammered something out. Now, thanks to this agreement, all players who are active or on the injured list for the entirety of a shortened 2020 season will receive a full year of service time. That's being reported by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Players' service time will be prorated in the event of a truncated campaign. A lot of that, uh, you know, full year service and uh, player service time being prorated is important when you're applying it towards when does your when do you become a free agent, things of that nature. And for some uh, players, uh, free agency is when you get to hit the lottery. So if there's a 100-day season and a player's active for 50 of those days, he'll get half a year of service. If no season happens at all, service time occurred will be based on the amount of days the player earned in 2019. Uh, the service time portion of this pact is especially welcome news for many who are due to become free agents next winter. The likes of Mookie Betts, J.T. Ramudo, and George Springer will all remain in position to reach free agency uh, then even if a season does not take place. For now, those major leaguers and the rest around Major League uh, Baseball will receive a $170 million advance, 3 to 4% of their full salaries. I guess that's what I'm thinking this means, spread over two months. No, it can't be $170 million. It says 170 mm, so I'm not sure what that exactly means. Uh, that's according to Rosenthal. The union will distribute the money to four classes of paper. Maybe they're going to have uh, players. Maybe they're going to have all. They're going to have 170 million. Uh, Major uh, League Baseball is going to receive that, and then three uh, or four percent of that will go out to the full salaries of these players. The union will distribute the money to four classes of players, but those with guaranteed contracts stand to rake in the largest total. The players' salaries will be prorated based on how long the season lasts, and they won't be able to sue for their full amounts. Looking ahead to the summer, this year's amateur draft could go down to five rounds, but MLB will have the ability to increase that total, Rosenthal relays, uh, adding that the event won't occur later than July. So still up in the air on whether we'll have a draft or not. In another decision that will have some effect on young talent from around the game, the upcoming international signing period could be delayed to as late as January of 2021. It's currently scheduled to run from July 2nd of this year through June 15th of 2021. So those are noteworthy steps uh, that have been taken thus far. When we come back, uh, I don't typically spend a lot of times talking about this, but because of what uh, has happened, I'm going to give you the latest news on WrestleMania, 
that's being held on Saturday and Sunday next week. And uh, a big, big star who has now just announced that he is opting out because his uh, immune system is compromised. So we'll talk about that. And just got a, a note that Alan Kerr, who is uh, leaving as insurance commissioner, will join us and in the 8 o'clock hour. So that's coming up as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But right now, here's the news. All right, uh, Roman Reigns has pulled out of WrestleMania, which will take place uh, a week from Saturday and Sunday uh, in studio only. Uh, the reason that is, is if you know or have been following much uh, in the world of uh, pro wrestling, Reigns uh, has a form of leukemia. And uh, early last year, he uh, went into remission. He was supposed to be wrestling Goldberg uh, on the first night of WrestleMania. That's Saturday the 4th. And uh, that was supposed to be the big match uh, to draw uh, viewers. And all of this would be watched on WWE's website that they have now. But uh, he has stepped back. And with the blessing, uh, blessings of the WWE, because his immune system is suppressed. Uh, so that's something that we got to think about. I know that I, I talk a lot about politics, but when ESPN and, uh, you know, the athletic and all the rest of them are reporting on this, it's important enough and cuts across uh, listenership enough that I need to re- uh, uh, tell you about it. So Roman Reigns not in WrestleMania. He will be um, replaced. No word yet on who is going to be Goldberg's uh, challenger for the Universal Championship. And it will be interesting to see what Stephanie McMahon comes up with. So that's your uh, WWE update. Now let's get to some really serious talk. Mark Lauder is joining us today, Director of Strategic Communications uh, for Trump. Mark, how are you this morning? Where are you social distancing yourself? Good morning, Dave. Well, I'm uh, I'm uh, working from my home uh, just outside of uh, Washington. Yeah, I'm 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 doing my show today, and I love uh, the technology we have now. I'm doing my show from my dining room, so uh, everybody else is still asleep in the house. I'm the only one up. Even the dog is still asleep. You know it's bad when your dog won't even wake up to listen to you. So that's uh, that's a bad thing. So let, let's let's talk about uh, what's going on now. The president seems pretty uh, convinced uh, that. They think they're going to be able to start revving up this economy here maybe in the next couple of weeks. Is the thought still that way? Are the doctors tending to lean his way? Well, I mean, I think they want to make sure that the data supports that. Look, the president is absolutely clear he wants to get America back to work. He knows Americans want to get back to work, and he appreciates the sacrifice they're making. But we also have to realize, and, and the president does realize, that this is, there is not a one-size-fits-all uh, approach that works for this. We needed to do that in the beginning to get a hold of this virus. But now that we have had over a half a million tests, uh, and that's just the ones that we know of that are taking place in hospitals and things like that, 
that we're starting to get a better picture of where the virus is. And as you heard last night from the White House uh, press briefing room, the vice president, Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, plan to bring the data to the president over the weekend to show if there is a possibility that we can start to open parts of the country. Because what's right for Manhattan is not necessarily what's right for Montana. Obviously, New York is the epicenter of this right now, and they are and they are going through such terrible times. But we need to make sure that if if you are in an area or a part of the country that has low risk, low spread, we have good data from your county level uh, health officials that are suggesting that it's not lurking still out there underneath the radar then we might be able to slowly start to ramp things up again while still keeping the social distancing, the hand washing, the hand sanitizing, those basic protection things that need to be out there. And I think that's something that the president will be looking at this weekend. But we're going to let the data decide this. The public health experts are going to decide this, not necessarily just, uh, you know, this is the president's aspirational goal. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, because the media has tried to trump up pardon the pun here, but trumped up this whole thing that between the president and the head of uh, infectious diseases, uh, uh, Fulci, that there's some kind of hate relationship between those two. I played a, um, a, a voice bite yesterday from him saying that he wished that the media would stop it because uh, the president listens to him, makes his decisions on uh, the information that he gets from these people. It's not the president just going off, you know, playing, you know, you know, the, the, the cowboy. He is actually uh, predicating his decisions upon, upon good scientific evidence. No, you're absolutely right. And and Dr. Fauci was correct in saying that, look, when the, when he comes to the president with, and tells him this is what we should do, the president listens. Uh, and there are many competing interests here. And, I, you know, I've often said this, and, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're dealing with a mayor or, a, you know, a county commissioner, a governor or the president of the United States. And having worked at every level of those governments, I can tell you that every decision you make. You have a variety of different interests that are having to take into consideration and a variety of different experts who are telling you yes to do something or no to do something. And because of how it might impact various uh, you know, aspects of, uh, of your jurisdiction. And so, but the president is the one that needs to make that final call. And he's going to listen to his public health experts. And if there is a way that we can start to bring back to life this amazing economy, then we will do it in a smart and responsible way. Uh, uh, because we can't just let fear and also looking at what is happening in some of these hardest hit areas to drive what else is going on around the rest of the country. Well, the president has the uh, the Senate fully in back of him with the uh, coronavirus relief bill uh, that passed 96 to nothing uh what was it on was it Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday that it passed? I guess Wednesday. Yesterday, the House started taking it up. Now we got a fly in the ointment. Evidently, we got this Congressman Thomas Massey uh, out of Kentucky, and he's he's uh, acting like uh, he wants to be in the center spotlight and force uh, congressmen to come back. And he wants more than just a voice vote. Is is the president? talking to him? Is he asking him why he's doing what he's doing? 
Well, I'm not sure. I can't speak to whether the the president has spoken to that congressman specifically, but I know he addressed it yesterday uh, in saying that we shouldn't have grandstanding uh, by certain politicians to stop the American people from getting this uh, from getting this relief. And you also have Nancy Pelosi admitting that there are going to be members of her caucus, probably the the radicals, uh, you know, that don't like this is not having gone far enough. But she's got enough votes. It's just going to be a question of how can she get there procedurally to make sure that this gets passed. There's a chance that it's going to happen later today, uh, but I've also seen some reporting that they're already sending out word that uh, congressmen and women need to get back to D.C. so they can actually do the formal you know, roll call vote and vote up or down, which may not take place until, you know, for another day or two. Uh, but this shouldn't have ever gotten to this point. We've had this thing done since last Sunday, and yep. it was the Democrats who slowed it then. It got passed either late Wednesday night or early Thursday morning by the Senate unanimously. And now here we go once again with Nancy Pelosi and the squad struggling to to get those radicals uh, you know, under control. And it, and it could continue to delay things. But we'll see. It will get passed eventually. I'm very confident of that. The president has been very complimentary of Nancy Pelosi and Democrats in Congress. But we've got to get this across the line. Yeah. A bo- bottom line is, is they may not be able to do this on a voice vote, which is very simply the people who are there go I and nay, and whoever sounds the loudest wins. Uh, they may have to come and actually punch your cards in, have a quorum, and, and vote that way. That's the worst-case scenario. And it, it's more of a way of inconveniencing uh, the congressman than anybody else. I mean, Bernie Sanders has even said that he may vote against it. Well, he voted in the Senate for it. Uh, and uh, he was part of the 96 to nothing. No, that's fine. Uh, but you know, this is where this is where you've got to figure it out. And obviously, if you've got members of Congress that are that are throwing up all the procedural roadblocks, and they are now going to force members of Congress to do the exact thing that we're telling people not to do, which is stay home, avoid unnecessary travel, right. avoid trying to uh, uh, trying to spread the virus. And that means you're going to have people coming from hot spots in New York, in in California, in Louisiana, Chicago, Detroit, that are now going to have to get on a plane, risk possibly spreading the virus even further, just to come in here and and deal with these procedural issues. It's it's a very irresponsible move. And while I respect anyone's right to cast their vote against or their opposition for, we've got to remember that this is a time when we are coming together as a country. We saw that in the United States Senate, 96 to nothing. We see it with the president having his highest approval ratings in the history of his presidency now. And yet you've got some of the resistance leaders out there that can't even set aside their hatred for this president enough to say, I'll yell no, or I'll get up and give a speech that says no, to voice my opposition, and that'll be fine, but I'm not going to make everybody come back here and risk their own safety uh-huh. to do it. And that just shows you the level, I think, that we have from some people in the resistance movement. I uh, I agree. Uh, a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. i got about another five minutes with, with you. Uh, give us a timeline that once the uh, – 
the House passes this, when can the American public expect to see their checks? When can the small businesses expect that it that kicks in for them? And as far as the airlines, the cruise lines, and all the rest, the big national companies to start seeing money being available to them to stem the, you know, staunch the bleeding. Well, the good thing is is that the federal government is actually now going through and preparing all of the steps. They're, pre- they're preparing the back office paperwork and the computer systems to be able to get ready to go once this thing gets passed and the president signs it into law. So we should be able to see those checks going out to the American people in the next two to three weeks. And from what I'm hearing, it will depend. And for some people, it will be a check. But if you've already filed your taxes for the last couple of years, you've gotten your refund that has been direct deposited to you, as like many people do, that they're actually going to be able to direct deposit that uh, those checks directly to you. So it won't be a check in the mail. It'll be a direct deposit, just like you get your tax refund. Good. And so that will be even quicker. Uh, but it will depend. They've got to go through all those systems. And then when it comes to the unemployment assistance, obviously, once that becomes law, then that's something that the guidance will go out. Each state has to actually reprogram their system systems to be able to, because these are state systems, to be able to add that additional funding and change those requirements at the state level. That usually takes a few days or so, or a few weeks, depending on the uh, depending on the on the state and their system. And then when it comes to the banks and the and the and the the, ba- and the, the small business uh, part of it, that's something that they're working on right now. Uh, but the key is that the help is right around the corner. So if you're All a right. small business, if you're a restaurant, stay, keep keep pressing forward. Because if you can keep your people on the payroll, you have these grants that are going to be available to you, and it's forgivable. So it'll be a loan that you don't ever have to pay back if you meet the requirements of keeping people on your payroll, keeping them on their health insurance, et cetera, uh, to help people get through these tough times. All right, Mark Lauder, our guest, he's been with us on the show many times. He's the director of strategic communications for the Trump campaign. Last question for you, Mark, and that goes back to Pelosi again. She said something yesterday that I hadn't heard any discussion on. Uh, I had heard there was going to be three phases to this relief effort. Now she's saying there's going to be a fourth and perhaps a fifth is the president in on this, or is this just uh, a Pelosiism? No, I think that what they are talking about is they, they, they want to follow the data, just like we do with the public health scare, the public health part of this. We need to see how this is going to impact the various uh, economies, various industries, and so there may be a need to come back to further to to further refine some things and make sure that the uh, the. Uh, funding is there to protect those who we did not catch during the first two or three phases. Uh, but that's something that's going to be a work in progress. And it's, just, it's something out there that's available if they need it. Uh, but they're always working toward making sure that we have everybody covered. All right. Mark Lauder with us, Director of Strategic Communications for the Trump campaign. Mark, thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, hopefully we get to the Republican National Convention and we'll have one. I'll see you there. Absolutely good to talk to you, Dave. All right, Mark. Talk to you later. All right, Mark Lauder, thank you so much for all that good information for us here uh, this morning. Share that with your friends off of uh, our Facebook Live so they hear uh, the good news from Mark Lauder as well. we got to get uh, traffic and weather. Let's do that uh, real quickly, looking at temperatures around the area. 69 in Conway, 69 in Cabot, 69 in Hot Springs, a little warmer in Pine Bluff at 70. Little Rock's a hot spot here in 
in central Arkansas at 71 degrees. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, Robert Steinbach will be joining us after the news at the top of the hour. He'll ride with us until 9 o'clock. Other uh, people who will be joining us today uh, in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, the uh, insurance commissioner, his last day today, Alan Kerr, as he uh, uh, has resigned and is moving on to other things. We'll find out what those other things might be. He'll join us at 8.05. Coming up at 8.35, Matt Smith will join us. He's the owner of all the VIP cinemas, uh, Riverdale 10, uh, Hot Springs VIP Cinema, Cabot VIP Cinema, Searcy VIP Cinema, Cinema, and then the Batesville Cinema as well. He'll be with us. He's kept his theaters open this whole time. Uh, that stops tomorrow, and he'll tell you all about it and why uh, the decision was made. Jonathan from Conway, I heard from Heidi that he had called in, and uh, he had a question, and that was, you know, how are these, uh, you know, relief checks going to, to work? Okay, well, I'm going to try to give you a quick overview on that, Jonathan. So here we go. Virtually all tax filing American adults earning up to $99,000 a year will be eligible for some form of direct assistance from the government. Married couples and joint filers who earn up to $198,000 are also eligible, as are heads of households who earn up to $146,500. Individuals who make up to $75,000 per year and heads of households who earn up to $112,500 will receive a $1,200 rebate from the federal government, while couples who earn up to $150,000 a year will receive $2,400. For those who exceed those income levels, the benefits are gradually reduced at a rate of $5 for every $100 of additional income and are eventually capped at 99000 for individuals, $146,500 for heads of households, and $198,000 for couples. Additionally, parents are eligible for a $500 rebate per child. So if you're a couple and you meet the threshold of less than 150000 and let's say you get two dependent children, uh, you would get, what, $3,400. You'd get $2,400 for the couple plus $500 for the children. That's another 1000 so you get $3,400. Now, it gets tricky about when the stimulus checks are going to be sent out. We just talked to Mark Lauder about that. Uh, the Treasury Secretary said that he'd like to see Americans start receiving direct assistance as little of two to three weeks after this uh, uh, package is uh, signed into law, but that seems optimistic. Erica York of the Tax Foundation thinks uh, t- uh, says that the quickest time frame in which the federal government has previously been able to issue stimulus checks has been six weeks. So uh, figure two to six weeks. You know, we're talking with the government. Uh, government here it does not move and turn on a dime uh, for sure. 
for the roughly 70 million Americans who have already provided their direct deposit bank account information to the IRS, uh, your money should be pouring into your account within weeks of the bill's passage. Senate aides have told the New York Times that uh, those who haven't provided such information may have to wait up to four months for their checks to arrive, a time frame that surely works against the bill's intention of providing financial assistance to struggling Americans. So that's what I got for you right now. Uh, If you're filing income tax, figure two to six weeks. I showed you how much you're going to get. Single uh, filers, uh, you know, looking at $1,200 as long as you don't break that $99,000 threshold. Uh, If you're uh, couples, uh, you make under 150. You're going to get 2,400 dollars. If you got kids, you're going to get an extra 500 dollars per child. So that's how it all works out. When will you get the money? It's the government. They're always fast to take your money, but not as fast to return it. All right, we got uh, Robert Steinbach coming up. He'll be with me when I come back. Right now, though, news for the top of the hour. Five minutes here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 101.1 FM. The answer. Come back 7 o'clock on a Friday, last show this week. I'll be back on Monday, you know. You know, God willing and the creek don't rise. That's what my daddy used to say. I've picked it up always. I've kept it fairly close in my pocket. Makes sense to me. But the, the bottom line is, and I'm just talking to Elizabeth uh, Sotolaro, and she says that the U.S. now has the highest number of infections and people are freaking out about it. No reason to freak out about it. Uh, we're a nation that's doing more tests than any other nation. In eight days, we did more tests than the South Koreans did in eight weeks. All right. I, I gave you that information yesterday. I just want you to know that the more testing that happens, the more cases will be uh, will be seen. That's only to be expected. There's a lot of people that are asymptomatic, not showing any symptoms whatsoever, that are walking around with this virus. And that's why we're doing the whole, you know, social distancing thing, because you don't know. It's not like they put a, you know, give you a sandwich board. I use that as a as an illustration, I don't know how many people even know what a sandwich board is. They don't give you a sign to walk around with that you hold up and it says, I have the virus. It does, it, it's not like that. That's why uh, you stay six feet away from people. That's why you use hand sanitizer on, when you can. All of those stuff, you know, freaks uh, people. This stuff is reported in such a way, and, and this is where, 
you know, I used to be part of this fraternity of journalists. I used to be a journalist a long time before I became just an opinionated talk host uh, and uh, try to base a lot of what I say on facts. I want to give you facts. Then I just give you my opinion on certain things because of all the, you know, I've been around on uh, this the spinning globe for 67 years. I've seen a lot of stuff happen, and I can give you some some. Uh, kind of uh, different views on things maybe you haven't taken. But the bottom line is, uh, quit scaring people. That scares people. Oh, God, we're not doing enough. We're doing plenty enough. Just letting you know, we are doing enough. The key is we're doing so much that at times we got more information about who's got the virus than any other country does. Just came out just a moment ago, news just broke, is that uh, bottom line... Uh, Boris Johnson, who is the prime minister of Britain, has the coronavirus. I didn't hear how sick he is or anything like that. But he's been meeting with people. He's not doing his social distancing, and that's the key. I'm feeling good. I know that I don't have it. Yesterday I had to go and see my infectious uh, disease doctor. Because, you know, I've been fighting a uh, infection that's dealt some bad things to me as far as my foot goes. I got my pick line out. I am untethered from machinery now. And uh, I'm fine. I don't have nothing floating around in my blood system. With as much antibiotics that they put in my blood, I'm, I'm surprised I got anything floating around in my blood system that might be a foreign uh, body of any kind. All right, so Robert Steinbach is on the phone with us. Robert, how you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm fantastic. I wanted to tell you I've already got a list of all the stuff that I'm going to do for the rest of today, tomorrow, and Sunday. Uh, I am going to read, I am going to watch TV, and I'm going to eat and stay home. That, <laughs> that, I like it. That, it sounds that's like what, what I've my, been doing. Yeah, that's what sounds like my what my weekend is is going to be about. I actually we out went out yesterday, and our uh, supper last night was Popeye's uh, spicy chicken, which was delicious. I love spicy chicken from Popeye's and a hot apple pie. Got to get one of those as well. So didn't eat the best yesterday, but it was good anyway. So. Uh, you, you're basically doing the same thing I'm doing. You're social distancing as well. Uh, this time last week, uh, I think on, what was it? Was it Friday? Did we have you? No, we did it by phone then. It was a week before that I actually had you come in. And uh, since uh, the president has asked us to do the SD, we've been doing it. My question, Dave, is uh, since I'm a misanthrope, can I just maintain the social distancing when we're all recovered? It's just a joke. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just I a know. Joke. I, un- I understand. And I'm glad that it's uh, just a uh, you know, thing. I, I liked this. Is Robert sent me a text, and I, I, ma- I made mention of a sandwich board, and he said, is that when a guy wears a sign on his front and on his back, strapped together over his shoulders, looks like a yeah. you look like a sandwich? Exactly. That's right, what that right. is. I don't. I don't even know if anybody does that anymore. And I, you know, sometimes I say things and I I use illustrations, and I'm sure somebody who's 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 even maybe, are going, what is he talking about? 
because I talk about things that I've, you know, were big in my day. I mean, sandwich boards were huge. They used to have people who would walk in front of businesses with a sandwich board on and say, uh, two hot dogs and a Coca dollar or something like that, you know, just to get people's attention and get them in to, to do some business. Uh, we may get back to that, to be honest. You see some of this when you see people standing out on corners. It's not sandwich boards anymore. It's just a sign they're holding up saying, going out of business, everything 50 to 75% off, you know, things of that nature. So just kind of, you know, just kind of bringing people, you know, back to, from the past to the future. So let's get back to the future here. What do you think of this, uh, 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 Matt, is it Macy? Yeah, Macy guy out of Kentucky. Have you heard about this? No, what's, what, what happened there? Okay, Congressman Macy, who is a Republican from Kentucky, has mm-hmm. said that he will vote no to just taking a voice vote, vote and uh, forcing all of the congressmen, until you get at least a quorum, to come back to Washington, D.C. and plug their cards into their vote machine and cast their vote. Oh, because otherwise they would do it, do it by what's known as unanimous consent. Uh, That's correct. Uh, right. When I worked in the Senate, we had that where they would send around bills uh, by email, say, and a phone system, because it was somewhat antiquated, uh, would call around, and unless a senator objected, it automatically went through. So nobody needed to be physically on the floor of the Senate. So I gather, based on what you're describing, uh, that this is the same process. But if even one person objects to the method or objects to the bill, the bill doesn't go forward through that process, and thereafter it needs to go forward through the normal process, which, as you aptly described, is that the congressman in this instance need to come to the floor of the Congress to vote. That's yeah, interesting. He becomes the fly in the ointment, so to speak. And I had Mark Lauder on uh, in the last half hour, the director of strategic communications for the president. And uh, he said that that's who the president was talking about yesterday when he says this is not the time for grandstanding. Because that's all I can see, because it's going to pass no matter what. So I don't know what Massey's whole idea of doing this is. Right. That's a, the, the only sort of formal reason, two process reason to do it is if you think you can hold up the bill and you think it's worthwhile to hold up the bill. But if you don't believe that, then what's the purpose? Right. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, if they have to if these people have to come in and have to cast their votes by putting, you know, put their card in the, the little machine there and push yay or nay or present or whatever it is they're going to push. uh you know, they just got to have a quorum there. All you're doing is you're bringing people in to break up the whole social distancing thing for uh, the people in Congress, maybe spread it amongst the congressional members or whatnot, because you're not going to stop what is going to be the inevitable. By Saturday or Sunday, they will pass this. And then what happens is yet you don't get any Christmas cards from anybody. I lost you on the last part about the Christmas cards. 
Yeah, well, I wouldn't expect that Massey, if he makes everybody fly back oh, in, see. is going to get, gonna get Christmas cards from other members <laughs> of Congress at that point. So, Whoever, yeah, I yeah. just don't see yeah. I don't understand why, you know, he wants to do this. And he's not talking, which makes no sense whatsoever. If there's a reason why you're doing this, then explain to the American people why you're doing it. If If it's a principal thing and you say... Oh, I think this is serious enough that the members should be here to cast their votes, uh, you know, in the well. Okay, I can I can understand that to a certain point, but well, if it it's just because I'm trying to, you know, if I'm just trying to be a, you know, a horse's patoot, that doesn't carry anything for me. Indeed, I think it would need to be even more to be logical. That is not only that I want to force him to be there, that perhaps is obvious from the behavior itself. It should be that you want to hold up the bill. I'm not suggesting one should want that, but if he wants to hold up the bill because he believes it's a bad bill, then this is a process to do so. So then he needs to come out, I would argue and say it's a bad bill and tell us why it's a bad bill. Look, Dave, you and I well know there are aspects of the bill that are bad. Yes. Overall, uh, I think I'm no expert on it. I won't feign that I am. But I think overall it's a good bill. But like we discussed yesterday on your show, the fact that we're spending $25 million on the Kennedy Arts Center, which is a uh, elitist uh, organization, and you can send your letters, by the way, about how some guy's pushing a broom there, and he's an average Joe, and I'm sure that's true. But it, that's not where the money's going. Thank you very no. much. Uh, and the same thing with uh, National Endowment for the Arts. Uh, I love these commercials that you see every few years when the NEA wants more money f- from Congress or elsewhere, and they tell us, uh, they basically show us black and white photographs of the Soviet Union and how an environment without art leads directly to totalitarianism. <laughs> you know, like, do not pass go. Go straight to the Soviet Union if you don't want to f- take taxpayers' hard-earned money to to pay for uh, 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 photographs or actual art installations of jugs of urine uh, with uh, the uh, cross inside of it. You remember that, don't you, with the maple form exhibit. And the point is, right, and I'm not trying to be sort of, uh, what's the word, Uh, um, I can't think of the word, but I'm trying to pick the the worst example. There are, are undoubtedly wonderful pieces of art that are produced through the NEA. The point is simply this, Dave. Some pipe fitter uh, who's working uh, 12 hours a day to feed his family doesn't need to give a portion of his salary for that art. I like the art. I think the art's good. I would donate uh, to have art created, and I spend money on buying art. It's a choice I make with my money. What I don't want to do is put a gun to someone else's head, because that's what we do with taxation, by the way, Dave. We put a gun to people's heads and say, you must pay this money. Now, if it's so that we have a national defense, so we're not invaded, so that our water is clean, so we're not poisoned, so that we have roads so we can go to work, one could argue, argue, mind you, that that's legitimate. But when they put a gun to your head and tell you, You must support someone sitting and painting a beautiful, wonderful painting. I'm not sure I agree with that. In fact, I'm fairly confident I don't agree with that. Yeah, I like how they want to show uh, the Soviet Union and communism and that there's no art there. 
May I remind you about the Bolshoi? Oh, indeed, it's not even a true statement. They're claiming no. about how totalitarianism leads to, a, or how a lack of art leads to totalitarianism is just nonsense. Totalitarian governments spent money on art, uh, some of the money they saved by killing off mass amounts of their own people. Because the art, remember, just like here, usually disproportionately benefited the elitist rich who have time for that. Here's the thing about art. It's rather interesting. It's wonderful. It, it feeds the soul. But those who are working just to survive usually don't have enough time or to go energy. See it. Right, to go see it. That's exactly right. And it's tragic, but it's true. So you are subsidizing the rich on the backs of the poor. That doesn't make sense to me, Dave. Well, and I agree with you 100 percent. And and there's enough people in the arts and the humanities uh, that make millions of dollars, i.e. Barbara Streisand, who always is arguing for the NEA and the NEH, is that, uh, you know, give up some of your money. I mean, you just got to sit in a bank somewhere. Take some of that money and give it to the National Endowment of the Arts and Humanities and, and help sponsor some poor actors, actresses, and artists out there, musicians, so that they can do what it is you think that they absolutely must do. By the way, some information on Massey I just got. My thanks to Elizabeth. You know how Elizabeth is, uh, uh, Robert. She hears us talk. She's our in-house fact checker, isn't she? She is. She goes in and checks things out. Of course, I told everybody he is from Kentucky. She says, don't you know McConnell may be ready to throttle him? And and Rand Paul, too, to be honest. Uh, He's a libertarian Republican associated with the House Liberty Caucus of Tea Party Republicans who have gone to see him. I read the articles, uh, several articles about this. They've gone to see him. And he is absolutely sticking by his guns. Why he's doing it, they have no answer because he has no answer for them. Now, if you don't have an answer for what you're doing, then what you're doing is stupid. I'm sorry. Well, I agree that if you're doing whatever you're doing, you should have a basis for doing it. And if it's contrary uh, um, to what seems like good judgment, you should articulate that basis as a general matter, perhaps not always. Yeah, I got you. All right, looking at the temperatures around our area, we'll get back to Robert here in a moment. 69 degrees uh, here in uh, Little Rock right now. Conway's at 69, Cabot at 69, Hot Springs at 69. You following a trend with me here? Uh, Pine Bluff is at 70. High today, 83 degrees, periods of sun. And that means it's going to be very warm. We're moving. Uh, we're in our in springtime now. I don't know if you noticed how many of the trees are really leafing out now with these really warm temperatures we're about to get over the weekend. Still going to stay warm. 74 degrees on highs on Saturday and Sunday. Chance of a severe afternoon th- thunderstorm tomorrow, then partly sunny on Sunday. Who cares? We're going to be stuck indoors. Anyway, it's the Dave Ellswick Show. <laughs> Doing our social distancing, what can I tell you? More coming your way in a moment. we got traffic for you as we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. 
All right, so a question for you, Robert, and Elizabeth uh, posed this to me. She sent it to me uh, uh, via a text as as she's listening in. She said, if not for Trump showing the art of the deal, uh, I doubt if we'd have a deal with the Democrats yet. What do you say? It's It's a good question and a good point, and in truth, I don't know, right? Everything about what we're going through right now is unique. We've never had this environment before. So the question becomes, as a consequence, do you think that Congress could have worked together in a fashion without someone like the president helping along? Maybe, but maybe not. So uh, I I certainly give him credit, given it's sort of like the old saying that during success, uh, everyone gets credit. And uh, when there's a failure, the idea is an orphan. Uh, So I, I certainly do give him credit. But to be honest with you, I don't know if it could not have happened uh, with a different president. I think that what is really remarkable about the president in this environment is he's there every day or virtually every day. I, I don't I don't want to be inaccurate uh, before the press answering questions. And what I find comical about the press in general is, they say, well, you know, your press secretary hasn't had a uh, uh, press gaggle in such and such time. In fact, we I don't think they've had one since Sarah Sanders left. All right. Let me and jump in here. You yep. hold your thought. We'll come back yep. and pick this up. we we'll got to get to Rush. Rush has got his morning update for us right now. Hey, before I get back to Robert, let me remind you about my good friends over at PI Roofing, Joel Johnson, Veronica Johnson, the owners They want to remind you that their only goal is to properly care for you, their customer, past, present, future. In uh, difficult times like we're going through right now, uh, all of us face, uh, you know, things going on that we haven't thought we'd ever have to face. And the folks at PI Roofing want you to know you don't let your roof be your concern. Let PI Roofing take care of that for you, and uh, you're going to have one last thing that you have to worry about. Uh, They try to help uh, their clients succeed. They try to make sure uh, they succeed as well. And with today's technology, with the whole thing about, uh, you know, uh, social distancing, all all of that, PI Roofing is able to offer state-of-the-art video communication to keep everyone safe. They're turning this crisis into an opportunity by coming up with new ways to connect uh, with you to help them, uh, you, in fact, solve your problems. So don't let your roof be a concern. Whatever it is, uh, just contact PI Roofing, and they'll do their very best for you. Ways to get a hold of them, you can call them at 707-3551. Or go on the Internet to PIRoofing.com. And and when you contact them, would you tell them that Dave Ellswick sent you? Thanks a lot. All right, let's get back to uh, talking to uh, Robert here on the Dave Ellswick Show uh, and and what's going on here uh, for all of us uh, during these unprecedented times that we're living through. Uh, The Morning Brew reporting today. I thought it was interesting because they, they did say that nothing makes sense anymore. 
And and they're they're right. And then I want you to pick up again, Robert, with what you were talking about in the last segment. Nothing makes sense anymore, they said. On a day when an avalanche of weekly unemployment claims stunned the country, I mean, when you're talking a little over 3 million unemployment claims, do you realize there's 3 million people in Arkansas? It would be as if the whole state of Arkansas turned out at the unemployment offices across the United States and said, I need unemployment. Uh, Stocks staged their third straight rally. After surging more than 20% since Monday, uh, the Dow is back at, in a full bull market roar. Really crazy, if you ask me. I think really crazy. The Fed, and uh, they make a, a point here, the folks from uh, uh, the financial side, he says, you know you're in an economic crisis when the chairman of the Federal Reserve is doing morning television Appearing on the Today Show, uh, Jerome Powell urged patience from folks saying, quote, the first order of business has to be to get the spread of the virus under control and then resume economic activity, unquote. Bottom line is, it was a weird day on the stock market over the last three days. I mean, I don't know how many times I've ever seen the stock market break almost 2,000 points three days in a row. Yeah, the numbers are, are remarkable uh, and unpredictable. And that's, If they were predictable, everybody would get rich every day, right? We just never know. You, and it's not that people don't get, make money in the stock market. They take risk. In return for that risk, they get rewarded. But you never know. It's, the, the bottom line is you never know. Yeah, but think about what I just said about unemployment numbers. 3.3 million, that's just a little over what the entire population of Arkansas is. That's incredible. If that doesn't, if that doesn't you know, con- concern people enough that they say, you know what, doing what the president is doing and, and uh, what the Senate and hopefully the House will do today or tomorrow of, of this relief bill, it's necessary. Of all the things that we're talking about, I don't like some of the things that's in there because there's always people who are going to stick, you know, Christmas ornaments on the Christmas tree that have nothing to do with COVID-19. We've seen that from Pelosi. We've seen that from some other people. It, it, it irritates the fire out of you. But that's where the whole uh, statement that people hear me say you know, making law is like watching somebody make sausage. It ain't pretty. Indeed. And we've talked about uh, as recently as yesterday on your show, Dave, how th- the sausage in- includes a lot of stuff that you wouldn't serve on the plate if you knew exactly what it was. You know, the lips and hooves, as the joke goes. Yep. And uh, the funding for the Kennedy Art Center. Uh, and. I can hear it now. Oh, he's picking on the Kennedy Art Center. Darn right I am. Darn right I am. I've got no problem with the Kennedy Art Center uh, as a as a public venue, as long as it's paid for by the rich uh, tuxedo wearing elitists that go to it. And that's a bit of a joke, but it is also a bit of reality. Which means, if the if you look at the people that go to the Kennedy Art Center, they're overwhelmingly overwhelmingly rich and they can pay for it 
so why are we having the plumber, the pipe fitter, the janitor, uh, the teacher, the school teacher, uh, the store clerk, through their taxation, pay for that? This is the problem with government when it goes unchecked, and it too often goes unchecked, because inherently part of government, like any entity, like any organism, wants to grow. And so, oh, well, we'll do this. It's for the good of society, Dave. Don't you understand? Play along. Go along. Get along to go along. Why are you putting up resistance? And the answer, of course, is because if we don't check government, government swallows your freedom. And taking money from hardworking Americans to fund elitist art installations is a reduction in your freedom. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, how this is all working out. I, I, I just people just got to understand if we did nothing. All right. If people say, well, let the market decide. Well, if the market decided there, I can tell you right now what this has done would destroy enough small business. There would not be businesses for people to go back and get jobs from. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's certainly correct. And here's the thing about the market. Nobody claims that the market doesn't have market imperfections. Those like both of us who support market-based solutions in general recognize that government intervention, usually but not exclusively, is slower than market corrections. What's rare, if not unique, about this circumstance is the government has already intervened, telling market-based businesses, you may not operate. And in doing so, they have interfered with the market. Moreover, in that action stops businesses like restaurants, it's the classic example in this environment, from being able to take in money. And if they can't take in money for even a relatively short period of time, they go belly up. And so then you have displaced workers and displaced owners, and the ability to restart that business takes a long time. And so that delay is what is essentially a recession or even worse, a depression. So if you can hold that business in stasis during a temporary market inefficiency caused by government intervention, then you don't have that long-term recession or depression, but the ability to hold it in stasis costs a lot of money. And that's, of course, the stimu- what we're now calling the stimulus bill. So, yes, the market is generally a good, the best way to, to sort things out. But what one must recognize here, the very start of the problem was non-market intervention. And so once you start down that road, uh, you need to at least consider continuing in a limited fashion to correct that non-market market intervention. All right. I wanted to go over something that you may never have heard of. I had, and I found a story about it. Have you ever heard of the WHI? The Waffle House Index. Have you ever heard of that, Robert? No. All right. Here you go. Here's what it is. The Waffle House Index measures to what extent Waffle House locations remain open. It's typically used to measure the severity of a natural disaster since the Waffle Houses, uh, a revered American Southern tradition, is incredibly resilient. 
For instance, back in 2011, when that tornado tore through Joplin, Missouri, they killed 158 people, injuring over 1,000. The Waffle House remained open, did not close its doors, stayed open. But now the Waffle House index is in the red, the company announced on Wednesday. Waffle House has closed more than a fifth of its locations in response to the crisis, and its sales are down 70 percent nationwide uh, right now. That's according to Waffle House Index. The bottom line is this. Uh, It's the first time analysis have uh, used the Waffle House Index to evaluate the damage of a non-weather related event. There's, uh, you know, strange things out there that kind of give us a feel for, you know, what our footing is out there. And if the Waffle House Index is any indication, things are very, very shaky right now. And uh, that's why uh, this whole thing of putting together this compromise that the president has done, uh, you know, and offered to Democrats this or that to get a whole lot of other things that uh, Republicans were wanting for business and, and stuff of, of that nature is so important. we got to get some stability in the market, and we've done that here the last three days, so to speak. Well, Dave, it, that is a, a real measure, by the way. Incidentally, I routinely go to the Waffle House here in Little Rock, and, of course, I haven't gone during Close now. Yeah. It's closed. Uh, closed in Cabot. Indeed. Both of them closed in Cabot. I drove by them last night. They were black, dark, completely. Mm-hmm. It just, mm-hmm. it just, that gives me the creeps when I look at Waffle House and there's not lights on. Yeah, indeed. And it's reflective of a real phenomenon. People go, well, that's just silly. No. You see, no one's claiming that the Waffle House causes the economy to go down or up. It Much like... There's a, a, a well-known, in economics, uh, or statistics, both, I think, there's a well-known phenomenon that when you see an increase in ice cream sales, you also see an increase in crime. Now, of course, ice cream doesn't cause crime. The same phenomenon is causing both, which is warm weather has people buy ice cream. Warm weather puts people outside, and those people who are outside, some small percentage of them, are more likely to commit crime uh, outside as opposed to staying in their houses. Same yeah, thing it's here. A with that uh, a correlation. That's exactly right. Exactly yeah, it's just, right. It's just, it's just, you know, there's a lot of things to look at. And when the Waffle House business is down 70%, I can only imagine what other people's uh, businesses are down. Because I'm going to tell you what, Waffle House, when I want a quick meal, that's where I head to. Because I know it would be hot, it would be tasty, and they get good coffee. So I, I go there and eat. I probably eat there twice a week, easy, if not more. I'm a big fan, incidentally, of the Waffle House. Absolutely. I love listening to the waitresses call it out, too, you know. Half an order of bacon, blah, 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 blah. It's great stuff. I may I may have to go uh, record a Waffle House waitress and use it as a lead-in to my, some of my segments here uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show. That's, it's just such a southern thing. It's such a southern thing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping in the future that uh, will make White Castles a southern thing as well. It's more of a northern thing. I sure would like to make it a southern thing uh, here uh, in the future because uh, the southern version of that 
and I, their name is escaping me now, uh, is just not as good. And, in fact, uh, I think they're on really hard times, maybe going out of business, uh, and maybe already had gone out of business. Hey, listen, we've got to get a break. And uh, coming up yeah. in the next hour, did you know Alan Kerr is leaving as insurance commissioner? I did not know that. He'll join us and tell us why when we uh, get over into the 8 o'clock hour. He'll join us at the uh, top of the hour. And uh, Matt Smith will be uh, with us uh, at 8.30 because he's going to tell us uh, he's the only movie theaters that has been staying uh, open here in Arkansas during the coronavirus. And he's going to tell us why he's finally saying he's closing his doors as of tomorrow. So that's coming up. So some interesting guests and giving us real uh, time basis news about what the coronavirus is, is, is doing. By the way, I want to give a big shout out to the governor. He's doing good. Uh, we are 32nd. In the nation, 32nd for the number of coronavirus patients and deaths in the United States. Uh, we're trailing uh, just about everybody, and this is a good time when you want to be in last place, if you know what I'm saying. All right, so we'll be back in a moment. It'll be Robert and I. we got to get one more break in. Let's do that. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. We're looking at 69 degrees in Little Rock, going for a high of 83 under periods of sun, and as they say, very warm right now here in our listening area. 101.1 FM, the answer. Yeah, back with you. We've got uh, six minutes till 8 o'clock. Yeah, that's a sad one that I wanted to report. And I'm just getting ready. We had it up uh, and teed up for the thing that we we're going to talk about. And Larry Elder brought it up. And uh, you may you may not have heard of uh, this yet, Rob, but the Globetrotters have confirmed that, I did hear uh, that. Fred, yes. Fred Curly Neal di- uh, died at 77 years old in his home in Houston early yesterday. Cause of death not been confirmed. A star with the Globetrotters during their heyday. I, I remember seeing Curly a lot. You, you have never seen anybody could dribble a basketball as well as Curly could do it. He was amazing. Uh, Dave, not I only think just the with, funnest thing I ever saw him do was lay down on the floor and dribble the basketball. He could keep it dribbling, I kid you not, at three centimeters a dribble. Yeah, well, not only could he do that, but he could keep it out of the other person's hand that was trying to take it from him. That's because they'd have to bend over <laughs> or get on their knees on the floor to take it away from him. He was incredible. Let me give you some incredible statistics. Neil played in more than 6,000 games with the Globetrotters from 1963 to 1985. I didn't realize that he'd been away from the Globetrotters since 85, but he has been. But, uh, yeah, that information now is out. And uh, basketball mourning him. Because, you know, a lot of people, that you, know, you go watch the Globetrotters and you go, yeah, you couldn't do that in a real game. You watch those guys when they would go in. And, of course, they had their team, the couple of teams that they had that played them all the time. And they would just beat knots on their heads. But uh, there were times that they played NBA teams and beat them because they were so good. They were incredible ball handlers and shooters they were really yeah, the amazing. washington generals was the team that they always played on their in their <laughs> yeah. shows yeah absolutely absolutely but six thousand games man six thousand performances 
between 63 and in 20, what, 22 years. That's a lot of basketball, my man. A lot of basketball. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. I remember yeah. seeing him. It's, yeah. it's, it's, he was an institution. You know, and, and they still do some of the same gigs that they did back at the beginning of the Globetrotters and during their heyday. They always still throw uh, the bucket of uh, torn up paper on people in the crowds. And everybody yeah, thinks yeah. it's a big old bucket of water and stuff like that. They still do the stuff where they come dribbling down the floor and somebody will stop right there in the lane and they'll put a hand on their shoulder and go flying over top of them and slam the basketball. Absolutely amazing to watch them. They are really very entertaining. There ain't nothing better than to sit and watch the Harlem Globetrotters and eating a big old glob of cotton candy. That was Absolutely. <laughs> when I was a kid, I Absolutely. loved that stuff. Loved it. Loved it. Hey, we're almost out of time. Uh, when we come back, Robert, we will talk further uh, about uh, uh, Alan uh, Kerr. He is leaving as insurance commissioner. Find out from him you know, why he decided this was the time to leave. Does he know what he's going to go and do? Uh, you know, I hope that he still has, you know, some public service stuff in him to do because he, you know, I've known Alan and he's been a member of a part of showing up on the Dave Ellswick show ever since he was a quorum court member in Pulaski County to when he became a state representative to when he became the insurance commissioner. So, um, you know, I want to I want to talk to Alan and see what his thoughts are you know, where we're at right now economically in the United States and what things are going on. He, he'll have some insights for us on that. You stay where you're at. Have some coffee or whatever it is you're doing right now. I don't know. Do you drink coffee if it's not Starbucks? I do. I do. I, I make my own coffee, and it's good coffee, and I'm drinking it as we speak. Okay, good. Well, continue it. I'll talk to you on the other side of news. News is coming up next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay with us. We've got a lot more to talk about here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. I don't know, but it sounds to me like that different man with the bones. Sure having himself a ball. Yeah, we're remembering Curly Neal here for a moment. Theme song of the Harlem Globetrotter, Sweet Georgia Brown. Back for the final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach here. And, uh... Last day as a Treasury Secretary here of the state of Arkansas, Alan Kerr. Alan, uh, some, this uh, kind of broke this week. Uh, we heard who was going to take your place more than we heard that you were leaving. So uh, let's get it from you. Uh, when did you make this decision and, and why the decision now? 
Well, uh, first off, Dave, you, you said I was. this is my last day as Treasury Secretary. I don't know if that was wishful thinking or something, but I am the insurance commissioner. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. you you got a lot going on with government right now, so it's, it's easy to get those, those jumbled up. But, well, uh, Dave, the reason uh, why now, uh, you always want to leave on top. You don't want to run something to the ground. So, um, you know, we've when we came in, when I came in in, in 2015, uh, the insurance department had some um, some ground to make up as far as the insurance industry goes. And uh, in that period of time, I wanted to make sure that the the country knew that Arkansas was open for business as far as insurance goes. And in that time, um, we have recruited 115. Uh, new companies to come to Arkansas, uh, five of those in the last uh, three or four weeks. Um, that's um, that's unheard of in the insurance world. Um, we have uh, you know brought the state into to current te- technologically uh, st- technology st- standing, and uh, um, we've got everything online now, and everything is easy to if you want to get a license or. Um, you know, uh, renew your licenses now. It's all online. You don't have to go to a class or anything if you don't want to. Um, and uh, as far as uh, uh, cost of those agents go, we've, we've reduced the cost by 20% overall. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we've, we've done some great things. And along with those changes come um, uh, the number of licenses because we brought more companies in because we made it easier to do licenses. We went from 87,000 licenses in the state of Arkansas to 158,291. Wow. Almost double. Yeah, that that's so, huge. Ex- do me a favor. Explain to my listeners and to Robert. Robert, say hi to Alan. How are hey, you, Alan? I'm good, sir. Yeah, he's here. He's here as well. So jump in whenever you want to, uh, uh, Robert. Okay. Ask questions. But my my main question is, why is it necessary, or why did you find it necessary for us to go out and recruit uh, insurance companies to come to Arkansas? What had been going on in the state that we, be, you know, were losing insurance companies in the state of Arkansas? Well, we were overregulating them, uh, Dave. It's, that's bottom line, pure and simple. Uh, overregulation is not uh, not friendly to business, and businesses will go somewhere else where the regulation is isn't so stringent. So we we were able to turn that around. We were able to uh, um, throw out some some regulations that were just way outdated and too cumbersome for business. And we streamlined a lot of things for for businesses to do to do good business here. So anyone who wants to do uh, good, honest business, uh, Arkansas is the place to do it. And we've created that atmosphere where now we're the we're one of the top three places in the country that uh, companies think about when they want to start an insurance company or expand an insurance company. And each one of those licenses, Dave, that's a job. Mm-hmm. So. You know, that's why it's so important to bring these companies back. And guess what? Competition um, reduces rates. Competition is good. And uh, we've been able to hold our rates down, and, and I have approved more rate decreases in the last couple of years than I have increases because, uh, uh, again, it's that competition and that healthy business atmosphere. 
That's a, that's just one of the ideological differences between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats like typically like to strangle businesses with regulations, by while Republicans like to cut the regulations around and around them uh, those business and, and, and businesses and let them thrive. So right. you've proven that that particular point has been a winner for us here in Arkansas. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? It all transfers the dollars and cents. You know, I'm a business guy from way back and uh, bottom line is king. So um, we've been able to increase the revenue to the insurance department um, by 36 percent. That's that equates to more than one hundred and ten million dollars just out of this one agency. Incredible. And that's per year. That is per year. So when when you decided you wanted to say go out on top, did the governor say I'd rather you stay while we're on top? Uh, is that what happened? Uh, no, no, the governor <laughs> understands. Uh, <laughs> you know, kind of the old saying: "Sorry to see you go. Here's your hat." Yeah, um, I got you. You know, it's uh, um, it's one of those things. The governor understands the, that that you know. Um, I'm not a, a lifelong government employee, and uh, I came in. I did my service. I was a state representative. I was a county official, and um, uh, it's time to take that talent and, and agency uh, knowledge um, out and help some other people. I've got the insurance department where it needs to be. Now it's time to go out and find someone else who needs my help, and, and that's what I do. I, I help people. I help people uh, navigate the regulatory environment and um, help them do business in a better way. So we're going to be doing some consulting. Um, we've uh, also signed on with a, um, um, an entity out of, out of Texas. Everybody's been asking me what you're going to do next. Well, yeah, that everybody uh, wants yeah. to know. There's <laughs> um, this entity out of Texas called One Share Health. And you hear them advertising on the radio a lot. This is a health share ministry. And um, they need help navigating the regulatory uh, environment because right now they're not regulated, and they kind of like to keep it that way. So, you know, just like the insurance industry doesn't have federal regulation, we, we regulate ourselves from state to state. This entity, those entities need to uh, need to maintain their their status as a non-regulated entity. Um, you know, it doesn't take more than just one bad actor to uh, – to draw attention to a to an, uh, any kind of industry, hmm. and that's kind of what happened in, in this particular um, arena. So um, I'm going to be working for them um, and uh, doing some more consulting on the side, working with uh, other companies uh, to to help them navigate the, the regulatory landscape. Now, a lot of people don't realize your wife has uh, been very uh, active in in. Uh, you know, work. I'm. I got my insurance through you all, and I've been yeah. with you for years, as well as uh, she uh, is the head of the Pulaski County Republican Party. Is that right? Yes, sir. She is. She is. Uh, she is actually definitely a force to be reckoned with. Uh, she is uh, a vice president of uh, Sunstar Insurance here in Little Rock, and mm-hmm. uh, they're they've got uh, agencies all over the state in Tennessee. Uh, and uh, Missouri, I believe, and uh, uh, she's she worked with me in the insurance industry from from the get go. So we've worked together for for decades. 
she knows her stuff. And when it comes to politics, um, she's just as formidable. She is the the chairman of the Pulaski County Republican Committee, and um, um, runs that uh, that that agency very well. Yeah. Hey, Robert, you ha- you got any questions for Alan? Alan, uh, when are you going to run for office again? Well, that's also been a, a question that a lot of the press has been asking me, and uh, I haven't ruled it out. I can't do any announcements today, Robert. Nice try. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, haven't ruled it out. We're also going to be helping, you know, you know Governor Hutchinson is uh, term limited uh, at the end of this four years, and we're going to need a new governor. So we're, we're going to uh, look at helping the next incoming governor as well. Um, to make sure we have a uh, a good conservative leadership in that office. So um, lots of things on the horizon. You know, I heard you and Dave talking earlier about uh, uh, that people don't realize that we've been through things like this before, not things like, you know, the COVID-19. But um, in elementary school, um, there was a lot of stress when I was in elementary school because we had to get under our desk for uh, nuclear drills. Yep. Um, um, not that getting under your desk was going to help anything, but, <laughs> but what that was doing was, was giving us some kind of satisfaction that we still had some kind of control over uh, a situation that was, that was <laughs> truly uncontrollable. So um, my, my daughter is a, uh, a clinical psychologist in Texas, and they have moved her from, from seeing patients uh, on a day-to-day basis to working the hotline. And what people don't realize is the the biggest casualty of this whole situation is the stress and the anxiety that people feel. And that's going to have a much wider effect than the actual disease itself. But, you know, I I found it interesting that you were talking about that, that, that the things that we've at our age, we have been through over the years. This is just another cycle of life. And um, um, we've learned to, to, to deal with it. Uh, psychologically and emotionally and physically, but uh, a lot of people much younger than us have not, and and we got to keep those people in our prayers. Indeed. Indeed. Go ahead, go ahead, Robert. Any other questions that you had? Well, uh, uh, I don't know if I had any questions, but I can always come up with some, right? Alan, <laughs> what is the uh, lawyer? <laughs> indeed. So if you're talking about supporting the next uh, governor, and I think that's a wonderful thing, and I applaud you for that, uh, it's it's early, but what do you think of the landscape right now? Because obviously we're going to have a significant primary race for a governor, and thank goodness we have now turned the state around that really the primary, the Republican primary will be the vote for the next governor. No longer will the challenge be as it has been uh, the Republican versus the Democrat. I don't care who the Democrats put up. I think there's virtually no chance that the Democrat Democratic candidate for governor uh, can win. But what is what is your view, albeit obviously early in the season, uh, of what the primary will look like for the Republican candidates? Well, uh, like you said, Robert, I think there's going to be several <clears throat> formidable uh, candidates in there. We've had uh, uh, Tim Griffin has already announced, and uh, I hear rumors that uh, uh, Leslie has uh, announced or is, is going to think about doing that. Leslie Rutledge, the attorney general. Sure. Um, and, uh, of course, there's still the, the, the whispers running around about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So, 
You know, I, I it, it's going to be interesting, like you said. Um, we just need to wait just a little bit longer before we start picking horses uh, in that race and um, um, see how things come out. But it's – I totally agree with you. I think it's going to be a Republican race, um, pure and simple, and um, – um, I haven't even heard a hint of who the, the Democrats might put up. What about, right. have you heard anything about the Attorney General? Of course, I've been suggesting all along that Bob Ballinger should run, and I don't mean to, to put out there that uh, he hasn't already expressed some interest in it. He has, uh, and so I'm encouraged by that fact, uh, and I hope uh, that he wins. Uh, so I'm a big supporter of Bob's. Uh, any other scuttlebutt about the Attorney General position? You know, I have a I have a gentleman here that works for me at the insurance department named Ryan James, who is, is just a a a, um, a political nerd, if if there is such a thing. And and Bob Ballinger is the only one that I've heard of uh, to this point that is even thinking about it. Um, you know, the the same old candidates on the the Democrat side um, uh, that ran uh, a couple of cycles ago, uh, and the last one actually, uh, are thinking about doing it again. But uh, that's that's the limit of, of my knowledge on that particular race right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, let's hope let's hope it continues that Bob is the only candidate. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> that'd be great. We really we really uh, appreciate. I, I wanted to have you on, Alan, because you you and I have known each other for years now, ever since you were, you know, a, a quorum court member on the Pulaski County Quorum Court, up to state rep, up to the insurance commissioner. You have you and I have stayed in touch. You've been on my show countless times. I just want to say that I think that you've done a fantastic job in every position that you have taken. And uh, I'm excited to see what may be coming for the future. So uh, please keep in touch and uh, please make yourself available to the Dave Ellswick Show, because I'm sure uh, with uh, your knowledge, you'll have things to say about things that are, are occurring in the state and in the country. Yes, sir. I sure will. And I, I appreciate your friendship over the years and all the help that you've uh, afforded me. Um, and, and uh, you know, anytime you need me, anytime the press needs me, I always answer my phone. So uh, um, I may cringe a little bit when they call, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I always answer the phone and um, always try to help out wherever I can. So, yes, thank you, sir. And anytime you need me, you just have to call. I'll give you a call. Thank you so much, Alan. Alan Kerr here on the Dave Ellswick Show, wrapping up uh, an illustrious career thus far. Still more to come uh, from him. And what capacities, we're not exactly sure. We'll have to just keep an eye on his career and see where he goes. 22 minutes after 8, Robert's back with me. We'll get to the bottom of the hour, and then uh, we'll hear uh, from uh, Matt Smith. And uh, he's going to close his theaters tomorrow. Uh, uh, Robert, he'll be the last movie theaters in Arkansas to close his doors for the coronavirus. We'll talk to him about that here when we uh, kind of get back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And then we'll go back and, and hit the big stories again. We can talk about what's happening uh, with the House and as they prepare to evidently vote 
uh, dealing on this relief package. Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball's Players Association struck a deal. So uh, they got that taken care of until they can start the season. Supposed to have started this weekend. Not going to happen. And then the other big story, you may not have heard this yet, Robert. You might not have been tuned in early enough. But Roman Reigns of the WWE has said he will not take place, take part in uh, WrestleMania uh, next weekend on uh, the 4th and 5th of April. He is uh, getting out because, you know, he just fought leukemia and defeated it, put it into remission. And he says, my immune system's compromised. I just don't want to take the chance. So Goldberg has to have another challenger when he goes up for the Universal Championship. So that's all the stuff that we can kind of touch on still here on. And I know you're saying Elswick's talking about wrestling again. Yeah, I am because it's it's big it's big news. What can I tell you? It's big news. That's coming your way as we continue here on Dave Elswick Show. Fast break and then back with more on one oh one one FM. The answer. Hey, good news, uh, Robert. Story just breaking uh, with the hill. And uh, the hill is uh ref- is saying that uh Uh, that uh, House Democratic leaders vowed this morning that the lower chamber will pass the uh, massive uh, uh, coronavirus bill uh, for $2 trillion later today, despite last-minute hurdles erected by a conservative member uh, that have sent lawmakers scrambling to return to D.C. Said Pelosi, we're going to pass it today. She said that as she entered the Capitol shortly before uh, 8 a.m. our time, House leaders had sought to pass the enormous stimulus package approved by the Senate Wednesday night without having to call the full chamber back to Washington, D.C. amid fears of travel and crowding. They intended to do so by using a voice vote, a procedure that would allow some members to debate the legislation and lodge their concerns without the full House reconvening. But uh, Representative Thomas Massey has threatened to force a roll call vote this morning, compelling leaders in both parties to weigh a contingency plan for moving the package. Uh, House Majority Leader Denny Hoyer has been talking to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy in search of a quick path forward. Said uh, Hoyer, I've talked to McCarthy last night and we're working together to get this done. Hoyer said that if Massey were to force a roll call vote, party leaders expect to have enough lawmakers on the floor Friday to form a quorum, the minimum number of members required to stage a recorded vote. If that's the case, the House can approve the measure on Friday despite uh, Massey's gambit. So that's the way things are looking right now uh, for us. Uh, you know, interesting. So it Very seems like they're getting, yes. they're getting they're getting around it. It looks like so they yes. if they can get a quorum together, that's that's the key. Indeed, but of course, in doing so, they still. 
All right, 24 minutes till 9, the last 24 minutes of the Dave Ellswick Show for this week. I will be back on Monday. Uh, we'll see who uh, shows up and wants to be part of the show on Monday. The power panel will not be in as we continue to uh, practice social uh, distancing here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm in my dining room doing the show. Uh, we've got Robert Steinbach, who is at his house, and Matt Smith is joining us. Matt, where are you? Good morning. I'm also at home today. Okay. So you're yes, hanging sir. out there having your kind of your coffee and hanging out with your kids. I know you love doing that. So let, let's let's talk real quick, Matt. You're if not the final theater, but one of the final movie theaters to uh, close your doors. How have you been able to last so long? Well, um, you know, we've been closed about a week now, but um, okay. yeah, yeah, you're right. Um the uh <clears throat> the situation last week um major chains started shuttering uh across north america um a week ago uh, just to kind of give you some context there are 7506 uh commercial movie cinemas in the United States and Canada, 7,506 buildings, actual cinema locations. There's about 40,000 screens, but those screens are divided into about 7,506 commercial locations, Canada and the U.S. Last week, only 80 of those cinemas were open. Uh, Ten of those were mine. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. So how... So, so how we've been closed about if, a week, but that was our situation uh, when you get back to, like, um, you know, the 16th, 17th, 18th last week. So so what, what, what have you done to be able to last longer than some of the big chains? Look, I heard AMC is totally out of business now. Well, I wouldn't say out of business. Um, you know, what's, what's happened as you get into a larger circuit, whether you're talking about AMC uh, or Regal, they have such a concentration uh, of, of cinemas and screen counts in major cities uh, like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, these places that have really um, taken the brunt of this uh, on the front end in these large, major coastal cities. So um, as you get these blanket closures in these big metropolitan areas, so many of these theaters are shut down. Uh, you take someone like AMC, they have 636 locations uh, in North America. They've got 11,000 screens in the United States and Canada. Uh, they are the largest uh, chain in the world. And as New York, New Jersey, uh, uh, Delaware, Massachusetts, Connecticut, California, Oregon, Washington shuts down, it takes so much out of the screen count and takes so much revenue away from what they're doing that they're forced to close nationwide. And as they close, that's followed by other major chains like like Regal uh, with uh, 8,000 screens or Cinemark with 7,000 screens. You know, um, the cinema industry is mostly controlled by these larger chains. So they made a corporate decision to close um, – you know, to close nationwide when they did that, and they pretty much closed down movie going uh, back on Monday, uh, March the 16th. We were able to stay open a little bit longer because obviously we're not in those huge cities that have been hit so hard by the virus. 
All right, so let me just ask this. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to Matt Smith, the businessman here. Your doors are basically closed. That means nobody's coming to see movies. Nobody's buying popcorn. Nobody's buying sodas. Nobody's buying a beer. Uh, you're, the people that you're that are working for you, I'm sure that you've had to furlough them at this time. You know, uh, what is Matt Smith's thought for the immediate future? I mean, you still have, uh, you know, your mortgages to pay and, and all the rest, but even the movie industry has cut back on their product. I mean, where does this leave you? It sounds like to me you're between a rock and a hard place. Well, when you're talking about the day-to-day, uh, when you're talking about my staff members, uh, the way I staff my cinemas, uh, we have a, a large, you know, the vast portion of our employees are part-time. We employ a lot of high school students. We employ a lot of college students. You know, their full-time gig is going to high school or going to college. They're working at the theater 10, 20 hours a week for some extra income and to watch free movies. That's a large part of our staff. Okay. Another large part of our staff are senior citizens, retirees. They're drawing Social Security. They work at the theater part-time for something to do, to watch some free movies, to get out and socialize, to have a little bit of extra income. So those people um, still have you know, still have money coming in. Those high school and college students live at home with their parents. Uh, you know, those senior citizens have Social Security, so they still have money coming in. So the, the, the furlough of my employees doesn't impact people as hard. I only have a couple of employees at each location where the movie theater is their only job. It's their full-time gig. I don't have many of those. I've even got adults that would be in that workforce between, say, 21 and 50 or 55, you know, your major workforce component. The movie theater is their second job. They have a full-time gig somewhere else. They work at the theater for extra money. They put in 10, 20 hours a week. They want to take their families to the movies for free or whatever. So the furlough is not hitting my staff as hard as you would think. I've only got a couple that, are, that, that you know essentially make their living off working at the cinemas. But now for me, all of those fixed costs are there. Uh, you know, electric bill, water bill, gas bill, phone bill, cable bill, website fees, building insurance. Uh, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, a 50,000-square-foot building, uh, that type of thing. Those fixed costs are there. Uh, nothing changes. Uh, that is going on every day. So really the only cost that uh, I don't have uh, is a furloughed employee, but that is such a small amount uh, of my ongoing uh, daily uh, bills and invoices. So uh, that's out there, and that, that, that clock is ticking, and that's running uh, continuously every day while we wait to reopen this economy, okay? Um, when you're talking about the movie industry as a whole, um, you know, they're going to move these dates around on these major motion pictures. Uh, if you look at the release schedule, every Friday, all year long, year after year, there's anywhere from two to four movies being released hitting movie cinemas. Um, what they've had to do is they've had to put that stuff on pause. If you, if you look forward to the, to the release schedule and you look at big movies that are supposed to come out at, at Christmas of, of 2020 or big movies that are supposed to come out at Thanksgiving of 2020, if you're talking about something like, say, Dune, for example, uh, those movies aren't finished at this time. Those movies are being worked on, and they were in the process of 
sound editing or wrapping up some cinematography or uh, putting together the music or wrapping up the score or editing the film itself. Well, all production has stopped, so those movies aren't being worked on. So you'll, you'll have movies that were supposed to come out at Thanksgiving or Christmas of 2020 that get moved on the calendar to uh, the release year of 2021. And as that happens, you'll see big movies that were slated to come out in August move to Christmas. You'll see big movies slated to come out in July move to Thanksgiving. You'll see big movies that were supposed to come out in June go to August, that kind of thing, as the mm-hmm. calendar moves forward. And the movies that were supposed to be released in March and April, they'll pop into theaters, say, in June when we get back up to running. So the calendar moves forward as these release dates changed. Uh, they, they moved uh, Peter Rabbit 2, little kid's movie, to August 7th. Uh, Wonder Woman has been moved from June 5th to August 14th. And so you'll see more of that happening as this uh, virus thing plays out. All right. We got Matt Smith on. He's the owner of the VIP Cinemas and Hot Springs, Riverdale uh, 10, uh, Cabot VIP, Searcy VIP, and then up in uh, up in uh, Batesville has a theater up there as well that he's reopened and was just getting it back and, and running uh, at full, kind of full bore when all of this has come down. We I got more questions. Robert, I'm sure you got some questions. Let's take them when we come back. Guys, I got to get a break in. Let's do that. And then we'll come back and finish up the show today. If you're worried about this meltdown with the stock market, I got really some great news for you. According to Forbes, this could be a huge opportunity right now to save big money on taxes in retirement. Learn how with a free tax reduction analysis from David Lucas Financial right here in Little Rock. If you've saved more than $400,000, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis now at 501-222-3315. You don't want to wait. This big drop in the stock market, well, it can be your window of opportunity to save tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over your retirement in taxes. Learn more by calling 501-222-3315. That's 501-222-3315. More coming your way on the Dave Ellswick Show, but let's get this break for traffic and weather. Back with you, a friend of mine from high school texted me today and said, Dave, you're going to love what I'm doing while I'm having to do this whole social distancing. I'm uh, watching the Three Stooges, and he quotes, what do you all call this here cake? Well, I call it Southern Comfort. It tastes like more like Southern Comforter. As Mo says this, all the boys start coughing, coughing up feathers, if you remember that when they were Civil War <laughs> warriors. It was a great uh, segment in the Three Stooges. Back with Matt Smith. Just that was just a little aside there, Robert. You've been you've been following all of this as far as business goes. We're hearing the problems that face, uh, you know, Matt business wise. What's some questions you have for him? Matt? I've always been curious about the movie industry, and my understanding for the big changes, they almost entirely make their money by selling the drinks and the popcorn because the film producers uh, collect essentially all of the fees for the tickets. So I guess I have two questions. One is, is that accurate? And secondly, is it the same for independents like you? 
Well, the the operation of any entertainment venue uh, is based on uh, food and beverage. So it, okay. it really doesn't it really doesn't matter where you're going. Uh, if you're going to uh, Summit Bank Arena, uh, if you're going to the uh, Robinson Auditorium, uh, if you're going to uh, a live music venue or a local bar to see a local band, or if you're going to see a band that's playing a smaller venue, um, you know, food and beverage is the revenue. Uh, any ticket that is sold is to pay the talent. So uh, that's how anybody that is in the entertainment industry uh, makes a living. Um, you know, just if you go down to uh, Summit Bank Arena to see, uh, you know, your favorite band, whoever that might be, tickets are going to the band. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's the way the entire industry works. Um, there's really no difference in a large theater chain, a, a small theater chain, uh, Summit Bank Arena, or, um, you know, your local, your local um, uh, bar that holds 100 people that, you know, has some guys paying five bucks a head to walk in the door to see their high school band. So, I mean, it all comes down to food and beverage. All right. That's interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. No, I agree exactly with you, Dave. That's interesting. I was not aware that uh, essentially the model for those types of entertainment businesses is the talent gets the upfront charge and then the food and beverage is how the venue uh, makes its money. It sounds like it's challenging. For example, in the movie business, uh, I will... Typically, I will get some popcorn, uh, but not always. Sometimes I'm just not in the mood. So in those circumstances, I I gather that I'm not uh, your favorite customer, so to speak. I mean, obviously, you welcome me in, but you're not making any money on me, essentially, unless I decide that I want uh, a Coke and a a, uh, popcorn. Is that right? Well, you you take someone like uh, Walt Disney, uh, and they go out and spend $300 million dollars. Uh, to make uh, an extremely entertaining uh, motion picture. And then uh, you uh, get to go out uh, to a multi-million dollar venue. Uh, You know, movie cinema costs $1 million per auditorium to build. So if you go sit down in an eight-screen movie theater, that's an $8 million investment. Uh, You get to go in and sit down in this astounding place with a massive screen and a comfortable chair and awesome sound, uh, and you pay oh ten bucks to get in, <laughs> you know that's all it costs you to go in there and sit down. It is the most democratic, uh, least expensive, uh, community-oriented entertainment available in America. Uh, it is a bargain considering what you're paying um, and 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 what you get to watch. So if you're paying ten bucks to go in there and sit down. Uh, of course, Walt Disney wants the vast majority of that $10 because they spent $300 million producing that two-and-a-half, three-hour piece of entertainment for you. Um, there's nothing like the cinema and what that gets you at that price range. Uh, you can't get that much entertainment uh, for that length of time uh, in an atmosphere that nice uh, anywhere close to that price point. So um, I understand why Disney uh, expects uh, to get the largest percentage of a ticket sale. But, yeah, if you go anywhere, if you see somebody that goes down to Summit Bank Arena and they uh, buy a ticket to see, I don't know, Garth Brooks, 
and go in and watch the the ticket and leave, or excuse me, go in and watch the show and leave, and they don't buy anything uh, at the food court there at uh, Summit Bank Arena, then, uh, yes, they have not contributed to the cause. Uh, In a sense, when you go to the movies, everybody that is eating and drinking something is um, out of their own pocket funding you the opportunity uh, to see a multi-million dollar piece of entertainment in a multi-million dollar venue when you have contributed very little. Well, that's why I always buy a a big bucket of popcorn with the uh, bucket that you all sell. I buy that. And a large soda as well. That is my contribution. And at times, if I'm hungry, you know, the food's really good at the uh, VIP cinemas. I'll buy myself some, uh, you know, chips and dip and maybe even a pizza and go and uh, just have uh, supper right there uh, with Linda. Well, what's the future looking like for you, Matt? What what are you expecting or do you even know what to expect? That's my final question today. I mean, it just depends on how long this thing lasts, and that's what every person in America wants to know right now, you know, is this good to sit there and bleed out money uh, while you're forced to be closed? No, it's not good for me or anybody else that owns a business. How long does it last? Uh, if this thing lasts a couple weeks, that's one thing. Lasts a couple months, it's even a little harder. Uh, if it lasts three or four months, that's going to kill off a lot of businesses. Uh, you know, this virus will bankrupt more individuals than it kills. This virus will bankrupt and close more businesses than, than, than people that it kills. I mean, this is going to be an incredible blow on small businesses. There would be a lot of places that just don't reopen, whether you're talking about um, you know, music venues, restaurants, retail stores, bars, movie theaters. You know, they just won't open back up. They'll never recover from this. You know, um, like, um, like uh, Bravo, you know, they, they closed all 42 locations nationwide. Don't plan on reopening them. That was recently. And you'll see more of that. Uh, you know, this is a uh, blow uh, to the economy for sure. You know, how long does it last? Who knows? You know, wish I wish I knew wish, wish I knew that question. You know. <laughs> yeah, I get you on that. Well, I appreciate you joining us this uh, Friday for a while and and opening up and talking about how this is affecting your business. Uh, you know, we'll be firmly behind you. I'll keep supporting your cinemas. We'll keep doing the classic movie, although the one for April, which is Saturday Night Fever, is in doubt. Bottom line is, though, we hope that things get better a whole lot sooner than later. And, Matt, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Have a good weekend. All right. We'll try to do that. All right, Matt Smith, the uh, owner for uh, the, G- the VIP Cinemas. That's a, there's some real interesting information for people to consume today, Robert. We're down to a minute here, uh, considering what a small businessman is going through right now. Absolutely. It's a real challenge. And, of course, that's what drives that stimulus bill that we've been talking so much about. And it's trying to maintain businesses given this, as you've aptly described, black swan event, so that when we come out the back end of it, we aren't worse off than we were. Well, perhaps not. That's an overstatement, but we are as good as we can be coming out the back end of it, remembering that we're taking on a huge sum of debt as a government to do so. I'm not saying that it's a, that we shouldn't be intervening, but we need to recognize that cost as well. 
I agree with you. You have a great weekend, my friend. You Continue too. social distancing. I may uh, call you up later on this weekend and see if you want to join me for a short time on Monday as well. With that in Sounds mind, good. have a good one, all right? God bless. All right, Robert Steinbach, my uh, my good friend and a very legitimate deep thinker here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Well, we're done for this week. We'll be back with you on Monday. No power panel on Monday. Social distancing you know, keeps us from doing that. And if you have more than a couple of people on the line at once, it gets uh, uncontrollable and everybody starts talking over everybody and it doesn't sound good. So no uh, power panel on Monday. I'll be back, though, at 6 a.m. on Monday. A uh, car and truck doctors tomorrow, a best of show at 9 o'clock. Thanks to Heidi back at the station for keeping things running completely the way they're supposed to. I'll see you on Monday.